You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash Enterprise Data to learn more. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Friday news dump. Friday news dump. President Trump says there is a quote unquote good chance of a deal with Mexico. This, as the tariff deadline is looming, President Trump threatening to increase those tariffs on Monday. On Monday, According to the Bloomberg Terminal report with Josh Wingrove doing that report, President Trump says if we are able to make a deal with Mexico and there is a good chance that we will, they will begin purchasing farm and agricultural products at very high levels starting immediately. But if there's no deal, the Mexico will begin paying tariffs at the 5% level on Monday. Meanwhile, jobs report, jobs day. What does it mean? We've got Maddie Duffler in the house. She's going to walk us through what many are saying was a bit of a disappointing jobs day number. And we will check in on that, particularly with what that means as President Trump begins that 2020 bet on the economy. We're also going to check in with Joel Payne. He's a Democratic strategist. He's the former director of African-American media outreach for the Hillary Clinton campaign. He's also the former deputy national press secretary for former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid making his debut on Bloomberg Radio's Sound On. And Montana Governor Steve Bullock, Democratic presidential candidate, he checks in with us. And we've also got a special guest from the State Department we're going to hear from, Robert Strayer. He's the State Department's Deputy Assistant Secretary for Cyber and International communications and information and policy. So a busy, busy day. We've got the governor about to call in. According to the Labor Department on Friday, employers added only 75,000 jobs to the month of May. This, as the president continues to bank his message on the 2020 re-election on a strong economy. We are going to dissect that number every which way throughout this show and the politics and the policies 
of that, particularly as the 2020 election race heats up, but also these U.S.-China trade talks and U.S.-USMCA trade talks as well. Joining us, though, to kick things off on the phone line is Montana Governor Steve Bullock. He is a Democrat presidential candidate. I want to talk the economy, Governor, and I appreciate your time, but I do want to get into this issue with the Democratic uh, first Democratic presidential debate down in Miami we're just a few weeks away from that, and my understanding is that is that you have not been invited to attend. Can you get that worked out? Can you get that worked out, Gov? Not to, no laughing matter. Are you going to be on the stage or not? Well, Kevin, if all of your listeners go to SteveBullock.com, I'll get on there for sure. But look, yeah, just yesterday they announced that uh, one of the qualifying debates or one of the qualifying polls uh, wouldn't count. So, look – you know, from the perspective of, I only got in this race a few weeks ago, but that's, I'm a governor. I had a job to do. Had to get my legislature to reauthorize Medicaid expansion. And um, we did that. We did record investments in education. And if it's about either campaigning for 100,000 donors or securing health care for 100,000 people, that's the easiest decision I'll ever make. But I hope Gov, at the end of the day that I'm on there, but we got to see where it goes. But, Gov, how do you get on? I mean, seriously, a lot of people are, are running into this blind. They just know that everybody's running for president. They don't know how the candidates get on the stage. So procedurally, break it down for us. How do you get on the stage? Sure. Yeah, and the rules to date have been to get either 1% or greater in three qualifying polls and that's you know certain companies that do it like the washington post or a number of donors so it's like thirty-five thousand individual donors and uh even without announcing there'd been three different polls that had said that uh i could hit it but the dnc just yesterday announced here's who's going to be on the stage didn't include me saying that one of the washington post polls they're not going to count so it's either that or getting all the donors and, um, you know, I just got into this thing not that long ago, so we haven't hit the donor numbers. All right. All right. So moving on to policy, I mean, we got this jobs report out today, 75,000 jobs added in the month of May. This is, uh, you know, I mean, what do you make of that? And, and what do you make about it through the lens of the trade talks that are going on between the U.S. and China and U.S. and Mexico? Yeah, look, uh, I mean, on both sides, first of all, on uh, jobs numbers could have been stronger, but we're also not seeing wage growth in the way that we ought to be. So from the perspective of, you know, when you have families that in real terms haven't had a pay increase in 40 years and seen sort of, you know, major 60 to Fortune 500 companies not paying a cent corporate tax income, you know, most folks that I'm talking to are saying, look, this isn't getting that much better for me. And the uncertainty that's being caused you know, who knows if on Monday there are 5% tariffs on uh, Mexican goods. And this is all about, you know, we're kind of using these tariffs. It's just this blunt instrument all the way around, which is no way to affect trade policy or, candidly, immigration policy, which is what Mexico is all about. Governor Steve Bullock, he is a uh, the governor of Montana. He's a Democratic presidential candidate. Uh, we're talking to him about U.S. policy, the politics. Uh, he's fighting to get on that debate stage in Miami at the end of the month. Uh, governor, I'll be down there, so you know, hopefully, I'll see you down there, and, and we'll and I'll be able to interview you in the spin room. 
But before I yeah, let you go, I'll I know. I'll talk to you actually on uh, stage, not sitting there having coffee outside, Kevin. <laughs> well, before I let you go, let me ask you just one more uh, question with regards to the, the tariff policy. What are you hearing from folks in your state about the impact that these tariffs are having uh, on on the various sectors in, in Montana? Yeah, let me give you one example, even not from my state. It was about a week ago in Iowa. farmer comes up to me and says, we're down 147000 bucks because of these tariffs. And at the end of the day, yes, U.S. Department of Agriculture said that we'll give you a $70,000 payment. But not only are we losing seventy seven grand, we are also ultimately, uh, you know, these markets aren't going to come back. At some point when it comes to the farmers and producers, especially they're getting hit on both sides, you're getting hit on the steel and aluminum on the front end, and then, Markets are getting that much more difficult, and markets are going to change. Montana actually produces – we're number one in the country for pulse crops like chickpeas and lentils. Mm-hmm. And it's even the argument, uh, you know, we're going to lose our market share to Brazil as we go into India. So I don't think it's – you know, the sort of America first policies become America alone when it comes to trade. And – it's not working because it's our farmers and ranchers that are left paying the bill. Governor Steve Bullock, Democratic presidential candidate. He's a, the governor of Montana. We appreciate you, Gov, calling in and uh, giving us the update on what is now just a few weeks away from that uh, first presidential Democratic debate down in Miami. Thank you, Governor. Have a good weekend with you and your family. Uh, it was great talking to you, Kevin. Take thank care. you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, joining us for Reaction, Maddie Duppler, Senior Fellow at the National Taxpayers Union, former Coalitions Director for the House Republican Conference. Joel Payne, Democratic strategist. He's worked on the Hillary campaign as well as for former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid. Maddie, your response to the Gov. Yes, I want to pick up where the Gov left off on the wage question because to me that is the most interesting data point that we see every month when we're talking about the job stuff. That number, that top line job line number, that can change every month. I mean, we saw February was a huge disappointment and a huge rebound um, in the months after that. So on wages, though, I do want to correct the record a little bit. Over the last 10 months, we've seen wages rise uh, over a 3% average, which is the bump that Americans have been waiting for that they hadn't seen in the 10 years prior. That does make a difference. Now, today, we saw a little bit of a cooling on that, a move from 3.2% increase to 3.1% increase. So the question is, why is that? I've been looking at a lot of data where I'm trying to figure out what is the connection here? I think there's two different things to, that can explain it. That's not simply, oh my God, we're going into a recession because everyone everyone needs to be a little bit cool when it comes to these job numbers, all right? <laughs> um, but the wage question I think is super interesting because I do think we have two... Uh, influences at work here. One is that technology, of course, is decaying a little bit, this connection between productivity and wage increases, which has been linear for the last probably, I don't know, decade or excuse me, century or so. Uh, that is changing a little bit, workers' relation to the work that they're doing. But secondly, when you look at the way that workers are integrating into this economy, we saw with private uh, jobs data from um, ADP earlier this week that firms are having a really hard time finding workers that can match their job needs. So right now we've got this disconnect in our labor market where we've got 7 million open jobs and we don't necessarily have the skill sets to meet it. I think we're going to continue to see that borne out in some of this economic data. Joel Payne, we got a one-two punch. 
punch. Should the Gov be able to get on the stage in Miami? What's one more? I actually think the best thing that could happen to him is to not get on the stage and wow. be able to uh, raise all the hackles from outside and stand Carly outside, and stand, you know, mm-hmm. stand and, uh, and and basically complain about um, being treated unfairly. I thought his point about him actually having a job was a really good one. The fact that he's more worried about supporting the people that put him in office in Montana versus raising money from donors, I think is a powerful one. And I think if you look at being uh, Steve Bullock, right, standing outside, getting interviewed, getting a sympathy interview versus being John Hickenlooper or, or Jay Inslee, right? I'd rather be Steve Bullock. Okay, I didn't give a sympathy interview. Let me go. No, 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 no. I'm just saying. I was a good, <laughs> fair reporter. Coming up, more reaction from the panel, Maddie Duppler, Joel Payne. No sympathy here, Joel. And then we've also, we're going to check in with Robert Strayer. He's the Deputy Assistant Secretary at the State Department on all things cyber. We're going to talk to him about Huawei. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. TGIF, unless you're worried about tariffs because the president still could add those tariffs against Mexico on Monday. Monday is the deadline. President Trump signaling that he's open to a deal. But he's got to get a deal. And he says that a deal would include increasing purchases for agricultural states as well as other U.S. products to get Mexico on board. Otherwise, he's going to raise those tariffs. Joel Payne is here. He's a Democratic strategist. He used to work for former Senate Majority Leader uh, Harry Reid. I almost said Mitch McConnell, Joel. I, almost <laughs> I said, not that Joel. Joel is a Democratic not strategist. Today, <laughs> Oh, come on. That's going to get me in trouble. I, 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 uh, Joel also worked for the Hillary Clinton campaign. I've interviewed, uh, uh, anyway, Maddie Duffler is here. She's a Republican strategist. She's also, uh, she's a senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union, former coalitions director for the House Republican Conference, a friend of the program. Let's, let's go into the jobs numbers. Break it down for us. Earlier, you were talking about technology and the impact that that's having on wage growth and whatnot. Uh, but uh, but talk to me, seventy five thousand. Why why such a low jobs? Number? Yeah, I just think that we. I brought up technology. I brought up the relationship between workers and wages because I think it continually changes, and our economic data sense every month don't really allow for that conversation. Uh, particularly in politics, we talk about jobs created, jobs lost, and who's at fault. Well, the, the story, of course, is always a little more nuanced than that. But you're right, Kevin, about that top line number. 75,000 jobs was not what the expectation, not even close to what the expectation was. We thought 180 might be what was produced last month. Um, but still, with that disappointment on the number, the average number of jobs created is still above what we need to kind of keep the rate at the, at the same rate of population population growth, meaning about, I think, 110,000 jobs a month. So that still shows expansion in spacing the economy for expansion. Last month when we got job numbers uh, that were really, really positive, I think we had 223,000. Yeah, I was at labor for that. I, I almost, I was on air at Bloomberg Tele, and I was like, wow. Yeah. So a big jobs number. Last month when we saw that, we had um, Neil Kashkari, the uh, Minneapolis Fed, saying that we're not at full employment. So this has been the big question for the Fed to answer, which is what does full employment look like? Three years ago, the Fed had said that full employment looked like 4.8% unemployment. Of course, you saw today that unemployment still is at 3.6, much lower than they had anticipated. So this is the question economists are really trying to tussle with, which is, what is the actual kind of like staying rate for the economy? How many people do we want working? Is there more room to grow? And I think there's still 
plenty of space and left. Maddie, this is where I think Joel, Maddie, and myself can agree this is not full employment. You don't have to have an you don't have to have a, a, an economy an economy sure. degree from an Ivy League school to know that this is not full employment, right? Yeah, and and look, I think about this as a communicator. I think Maddie gave a very thorough good solid like economy laden description <laughs> of what's going on but as a communicator particularly boring, as a political political communicator okay i think about this in terms of how the american people view what's going on they know that the fundamentals of the economy broadly speaking are strong and for political actors here i i don't i i actually don't think that um that people should be reacting on a week-by-week, month-by-month basis. You know, when we worked in the majority leader's office, we had a rule. We would not follow the up and down, the ping, the ping pong of, of kind of these, the these, these, uh, these jobs reports numbers because, honestly, some, some months you're going to go above, some months you're going to go below. So, I mean, that just kind of happens. I think, broadly speaking, though, nothing has changed in terms of the overall broad fundamentals of the economy. All right, let's play with Kevin Hassett chief economist for over at the White House, what he had to say about uh, about the jobs numbers and whether or not they're being impacted by the uh, tariffs. Here's Kevin Hassett. I've heard a lot of uh, folks also uh, talking about how well maybe the jobs number reflects uh, you know the trade problems. But remember that this is May, and so this uh, jobs number comes before anything regarding Mexico. And also the only thing that really happened in May was that the, the uh, Chinese talks hit a roadblock, and, and, and so I think that it's hard to imagine that a roadblock of the Chinese talks could have a really big macroeconomic effect. That was Kevin Hassett speaking earlier today on Bloomberg Television. So, Maddie, level with me. Are these tariffs hurting or helping the U.S. economy? I can't see how they could possibly help. Uh, this is why <laughs> I also bring up the wage question, because wages rise when businesses have capital available to invest in their workers. That, I think, is non-controversial and uh, has been the product of business investment over the last several months. And we're starting to see that slow a little bit. Tariffs can certainly be an explanation for that. But I also think that you know that's the downside risk. That's the downside risk when you're looking at what the Fed is trying to assess what's going on with the economy. That's the downside risk when you're looking at numbers like this and trying to figure out a reason for why we see uh, lower job growth. That is what I think permeates every economic public policy question right now, which is what the heck is happening with trade? Uh, And tariffs certainly are not making the uh, environment any rosier for Americans. I think it's fascinating that this is where mainstream Republicans have really started to break with the president. You've Mm -hmm. seen a lot of frustration over the last few weeks. I mean, there was that meeting where I think it was, who was it, Lanksford from Missouri, who talked about the fact that the president would tariff his way out of anything, and he thinks that that's the only resolution you have Lankford, um, Lankford of, of not Missouri Oklahoma, Oklahoma. sorry I got the middle of the country wrong sorry about that <laughs> so um, anyways I think that's I think that's so fascinating that this is where the line in the sand has been drawn for mainstream Republicans Joel Maddie stick around much more reaction we're also we've got a great interview coming up with Robert Strayer he's gonna he's in the bureau he's the deputy assistant secretary for cyber and international communications have you guys been following what's been going on with Huawei and the Russians I mean they get this deal Russia Putin signs this deal with uh, with Huawei. I mean, this after the U.S. By the way, Democratic Party's on board with President Trump on banning Huawei. It's a huge national security risk, and now Putin's getting involved uh, with the with Huawei. We'll ask him about that. Download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. It is Friday, my friends, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. TGIF, 
President Trump about to touch back down into the United States. He was traveling abroad for the past couple of days. Meanwhile, Russia President Vladimir Putin, he signed a deal with Huawei, the Chinese telecom giant. This is President Trump just over a week ago, a week or two ago, signs that executive order, making it difficult for U.S. businesses to do business with Huawei and other Chinese state-run telecom giants. The president had bipartisan support on this. Democrats agreed. I spoke with Senator Mark Warner, Democrat from Virginia, top Democrat on the Intel Committee. He agreed. He said that President Trump should stay the course on this. We also heard from Speaker Pelosi, uh, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, all saying that they agree that Huawei, not good, not a good look for folks to be doing business with them. And Democrats are saying that uh, in a line with President Trump. Uh, here in the studio with us is the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Cyber and International Communications at the State Department. He's also previously worked with former Senator Bob Corker, Robert Strayer. Robert runs all the comms at the State Department for Huawei and whatnot. So as the U.S. looks to craft a 5G policy, a 5G infrastructure, what are the things that the State Department is doing to ensure that bad actors like Huawei don't get involved? Right. Thanks for having me, Kevin. So it's very important around the world that we, as we become more interconnected in a digital ecosystem, that we, and we have supply chains that are going around the world, that those not be interrupted. Uh, we're going to see 5G technology with all the sensors, what they call the Internet of Things, that will eventually uh, enable uh, the full suite of all kinds of critical infrastructure, including transportation, automated transportation systems, uh, shipping, manufacturing, uh, telemedicine, uh, as well as the distribution of electricity and water over those networks. We cannot have an adversarial state that's able to pull the plug on our ability to see that critical infrastructure operate abroad or domestically. So as we protect our networks here, we need to ensure that our partners and allies that we do business with also are not going to be disrupted. So how do we do that? Because, you know, I'm looking at these headlines, same headlines you're looking at with Europe, for example. They weren't necessarily following suit on what is happening with restrictions being placed on Huawei. How do we convince the Europeans to get on board? So, and we've gone on through about a year-long education campaign. We're going to keep going back to them, talking about the nature of how 5G is different than 4G technology and how you can need to secure that in a different way, in a fundamentally different way, because the cost of disruption is so high. And as well as there's such a potential for data to be exfiltrated, sent to Beijing, and used for purposes that w are not in compliance with our shared values, our views about fundamental human rights, and our views about the rule of law. Companies in China have to do what they're told to do by the Chinese Communist Party. They don't have a way of going to court or an independent judiciary and saying, no, I don't want to follow through on that. So we're trying to educate them. But the really good news, though, I think at this point, though, is almost every country in Europe is now starting to say that we agree that we will ban Huawei from the core of our networks. Huh. Now, we don't think that core edge distinction, that is that there's somehow a smarter center of your network and a dumber edge. As you're doing critical infrastructure at the edge, when you need to have low latency with the component parts out there, that also needs to be secure. But if a country is willing to admit that it needs to secure itself from Huawei at its core, it should that logic should lead it to ban it at the edge as well. Robert Strayer, he is the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Cyber and International Comms at the State Department. He previously worked for Senator Bob Corker, as well as at the Department of Homeland Security. The Homeland Security Committee in the, the Senate. The Homeland Security Committee in the Senate. Uh, he's joining us talking all things cyber, all things 5G. What did you make of Putin and Huawei? I mean, this announcement the other day, it was almost as if they were sticking their nose up at the United States in response to the executive order. 
It truly is a bad decision. Uh, but you know, we're telling everyone around the world that there's an inherent risk in using Chinese technology that's going to be uh, under the direction and control of the Chinese Communist Party. It could be under a time of uh, escalatory uh, conflict used against those those countries that adopt their technology. And there's still more, that, and then I'll let you go. I know you're busy. It is Friday. Uh, but, but there's still more that President Trump could do with executive orders to protect networks to protect the 5G network. What's the timeline or what, what, what can you, what, what are you guys cooking up over there at the State Department? Yeah, so in, across our whole energy, across the government or the president, we have now on May 15th is when we issue the executive order saying within five months, we're going to come back with a set of regulations under the pen of the Secretary of Commerce that will protect our information and communications technologies domestically. The State Department, we're going around the world to make sure other governments understand that there are legal systems, legal tools they should, should put in place to protect their networks. That combined with the threat analysis that we're sharing with them, the vulnerability analysis we're sharing with them, we think will lead them to ban companies like Huawei. We know that's in their own sovereign decision basket of things to decide on their own, but we're trying to set the right model that they can follow uh, in, the, in the months and years ahead. And the bottom line is this is a bipartisan issue. I Absolutely. Mean, dramatically. Ball, yeah. I testified in front of the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee with uh, Senator Lindsey Graham and Senator Dianne Feinstein, the entire committee, fully behind our yeah. efforts on 5G as, to secure it, as well as our diplomatic campaign. All right. What do you want? What is what is the, the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Cyber and International Communications watch on Netflix? Uh, well, the, uh, the Americans would be one of the, the I feel things I have to the watch. Ameri okay, I'm going to leave it there. Robert Strayer, exactly what I would expect that answer to be. He watches the Americans, works at the State Department. Can't make it up. Thank you very much for your time, Robert. We Thank appreciate you, it. Thanks for having me. Uh, coming up, more reaction. We're going to check in with our panel. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli. On Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Let's get to it. His first time on Bloomberg Radio Sound On, Matt Schlapp. He is chairman of the American Conservative Union. Matt, we're thrilled to have you on. I got to be honest, I was wondering when the conservative response for Medicare for All would emerge. And you've got something to say about it. Tell us about it. Uh, yeah, it, it's kind of shocking. You know, people listen to... Um, this whole concept of Medicare for all, and it, it's kind of disconcerting, even for big government people. I'm a small government guy, obviously, as a conservative, but even for big government for people uh, who believe that Medicare should be protected and you've paid into it and you want to make sure you get it when you're when you're an old guy, which, by the way, Kevin, I'm not too far from being uh, at that stage of my life. <laughs> you said it, man, and, not uh, me. Just kidding, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> but then there's this other question about, you know, what's the right way for government to intervene into our healthcare choices. So we've pulled together a group of major conservative groups to ask these questions and to push back on this idea of this innocuous sounding, oh, we'll just, we'll just put everyone into Medicare and that'll solve all, all of our Obamacare problems. At the end of the day, the reason why these Democratic nom uh, candidates for president are pushing Medicare for all is because Obamacare has been a big disaster. Well, you know what I find interesting is that and you know this. I mean, the, the the Democrats that I interview, the Democrats that I speak with behind the scenes, they say they want the the party to be talking about health care. They want the party to be talking about Medicare much more than they would like to be talking about immigration or even to to another extent other other types of issues. But what I'm hearing from you is that you're saying bring it on. I mean, if if they want to have a Medicare fight, Republicans will will have that fight as long as they as long as they want to have it. 
I can understand why Democrats don't want to talk about health care because they're having a lot of trouble. Um, just as, let's be candid, Republicans had trouble when they had the majority in the House. They're having a lot of trouble figuring out what they can agree on as a party because they have a lot of fractures. As far as, uh, as, far as we're concerned, as, as a conservative, I'm a conservative before I'm a Republican, um, it's very fair for the left to ask those on the conservative side, hey, what do you stand for? What do you, what do you want to do in this regard? You can say Obamacare is a problem. But what's your solution? And I think we, I think the first answer to that is do no, no, no additional harm. And we do tremendous additional harm, first of all, to our budget deficit. Uh, and we wouldn't actually in, uh, improve people's health care by putting everybody on the Medicare rolls. Because really, you're not putting everybody on the Medicare rolls. You're putting everybody on the Medicaid rolls, which is really all Obamacare did. Obama, Obamacare didn't solve the the individual uh, health insurance market, what they did is crammed everybody onto Medicaid. And I don't really know too many Americans who were really pining to be on Medicaid. Matt Schlapp, chairman of the American Conservative Union. Matt, what's going on with these tariffs? Is it wise for President Trump to, to, to tack on these tariffs on Monday? A lot of Republicans, a lot of conservatives, they don't like them. Well, conservatives don't like tariffs, right? So I, I view a tariff as a tax, and I view a tariff as an inhibitor to, to, to more trade relationships. That being said, uh, tariffs are uh, a fact of life, just like regulations and taxes are more generally. And, uh, and what the president is trying to say with his tariff policy is that even if you don't like them, even if you realize somebody has to pay for them, namely consumers or companies, uh, doesn't mean that they're not a legitimate thing to consider. The Mexico one is, is different, though, only because we are at the breaking point, and I, I know this. Obviously, my wife works at the White House. We're at the breaking point in terms of what these law enforcement officials could do with the people running the rushing the southern border. When President Trump was first elected, I think they feared that he was going to deport a lot of people who were here illegally, that uh, they'd be treated harshly if they tried to come here illegally. And what the president has realized is, is that because of a lot of liberal judges and bad laws passed by Congress. The president can only do so much, and even when he does what's within his legal scope, you'll have some judge that'll stop it. So, I mean, he can only do so much to change this dynamic if we continue to allow the numbers of people uh, to, to rush the southern border who are. Uh, you know, Kevin, we really have more of an illegal immigration system than a legal immigration system. We'll have more people that come here illegally and are able to stay here than we will have people who come legally. Over time, if you believe in immigration, that's going to be very destructive for its political support. Matt Schlapp is first time on the program. Matt, always, always appreciate the time. He is the chairman of the American Conservative Union. He also previously worked in the Bush White House. And, of course, his wife, Mercedes Schlapp, uh, is over at the White House. Now, Matt, have a great weekend. Thanks for checking in, all right? Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Now, fresh new reaction from our panel we have Maddie Duppler, senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union. Uh, she is also the former coalitions director for the House Republican Conference. Joel Payne, Democratic strategist, previously worked in the Hillary Clinton presidential campaign, as well as for former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid. All right, Joel, your response to, to, to Matt Schlapp. I take it you agree with every word. Oh, boy, I, I, I don't. But I, but I will say this. You know, it's interesting, again, that he 
picked his spots in terms of criticizing the president on tariffs. And Republicans, you know, he he liked to talk a lot about the fissures in the Democratic Party with regards to health care. There are fissures in the Republican Party that are really starting to show around trade. The president has to fire up his base. You have to, if you're going to run a base strategy like Donald Trump has run, it has to be a strategy where you have 40 percent of the electorate always with you. So I wonder how the president's going to shore up his base after the latest uh, spat he's had within his own party. Well, you know, and it's interesting because one of the things that Matt brought up was how Republicans had experienced this too, this kind of like cleavages that exist, particularly in the House of Representatives, where you've got a big uh, body that sometimes has a bunch of newcomers who have different ideas than the establishment types. Um, And tariffs are not one of those things you would think of when you think about rabble-rousing the base on the Republican side, right? I mean, Joel, you made this point to me earlier about how I sounded a lot like a wonk. People talking about tariffs generally sound like wonks. It's interesting that the president has this unyielding faith in a tool that is not only a blunt instrument and fails to accomplish political aims, uh, but also just is very unsexy when it comes to trying to rally up the base. And I think it's because the president, and he's been skilled at doing this more than any other president I can imagine, really turning everything into a culture war. The, The trade war is not an economic thing. It's a culture thing because what he's saying is whether you're sorbent. I want to yeah, interrupt. It yeah. transcends political ideology yeah. because, I mean, anti-NAFTA talk, that's on the You left. might hear that from Sherrod yeah. Brown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you won't Bernie just hear Sanders. it from Donald Trump yeah. or Bernie Sanders. Yeah. So he's really turned this into a culture war, which is why he's been giving, frankly, a little more latitude with his base and with people in the middle of the country who have been hurt and who are bearing the burden. Joel, I think that you make a really good point where on trade, there is a vacuum. There is not an ideological mooring, I think, on with both parties on what their trade uh, principles are, because for so long, trade has been viewed as the, the villain outside our borders, right? And... Trump, what he was able to do was really articulate to Americans that the villain that exists outside our borders is a result of things that we can fix at home. Now, right. I do not re- I do not agree with the policy response here, but you're right in terms of making that a, pol- a political message. He's been very successful. Yes or no, Joel, I'll start with you. The tariffs on Monday against Mexico, do they go into effect? No. I said no up until the last Trump tweet on this, when all of a sudden it wasn't about border security at all. It was yeah. about increasing imports for, and Mexico buying more things from us. So now I'm thinking, yeah, we'll this see is the Trump way. The Trump way is to slap a name on something, use it to sell, 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 and then pull out. Okay, I want to talk about this other thing that happened today, and we got like literally a minute and a half. Did you see this about the moon and Mars? <laughs> okay, so so Trump tweets out. Trump tweet, Trump tweets out. Uh, that, you know, it's not NASA, it's not about going to the moon, it's about going to Mars, but then, like, a part of it is going, you have to go to the moon to go to the To the moon! Mar- to so the what moon! what did you guys, what, so now the left is saying, oh, Trump doesn't know that the moon isn't a part of Mars. I don't, but Joel, Trump knows that Mars is its own planet. I, I think we can all agree the president is not immune to jet lag. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but listen, for the record, anyone who has watched Armageddon, which is one of the greatest uh, action movies of all time in Bold the history statement. of cinema, it is. Amy, find Bold me another one. Statement. It's one of the top five. Um, knows that in order to get to the asteroid, you have to launch from the moon. In order to get to Mars, many scientists say that you have to use the anti gravitational force of the moon to go to Mars. All of which I am launching the campaign to be a reporter that goes to space. NASA also has announced today that they are willing to partner with outside businesses to send astronauts from 
private sector astronauts to the space station. Well, this is the most obvious explanation for that tweet then, Thank Kevin. You. Thank you I for clearing that up. Maddie Dumpler, my thanks to you, my friend. Maddie <laughs> is the senior fellow at the National Taxpayer Union, former coalitions director for the House Republican Conference. It wouldn't be Jobs Day without Maddie Dumpler thanks on for having Sound me on, Kevin. On, of course. And Joel Payne, Democratic strategist, former director of African American Media Outreach for Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign. Also, the former Deputy National Press Secretary to former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid. Our thanks to Governor Steve Bullock, as well as Robert Strayer at the State Department, of course, to Matt Slap. And remember, coming up, we will con- or, or coming up, we will also uh, tune in to Bloomberg for the 151st running of the Belmont Stake. The Preakness winner, War of Will, will look to fend off favorite uh, Tatticus on the mile and a half track. Coverage starts at 5 p.m. right here on Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com.